0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, everybody. Let's stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to be reading in English, and then I'm going to read in Tagalog after. First Peter... oh. First Peter, what was it? <laughs> 1, 15 to 16. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now in Tagalog. Banalang Diyos na tumawag sa inyo, kaya dapat magpakabana din kayo sa lahat ng ginagawan inyo. Sabagkat, sinasabi niyo ng Diyos sa kasulatan, This is the word of the Lord. Esther, I know your grandmother is super proud. Uh, Are you a nurse? No, that's like, right, yeah, see, I'm Filipino. There's like this deep expectation you end up as a nurse or an x-ray tech. You you rejected it. Well, congratulations. Uh, It's like... I don't know what it is, but that's the first question people ask, like, oh, you're Filipino, are you a nurse? I'm like, I should be, I I think I'm doing okay, but, um." well, good morning, welcome to Story City Church, my name is Jared, apparently I'm Filipino, and we are excited that you are here, and uh, this is fun, I love that we get to read uh, in so many different scriptures, it is a testament to Revelation chapter 7, which says every uh, tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be worshiping before the throne room of God, and so what a cool Picture it is that so many different languages are spoken in this church, and we get to celebrate God's word in all those different languages. So thank you again. I, uh, I just appreciate that as one of those neat things that we get to do here. So if you have not heard your language spoken here, then uh, I know it's scary from this side, but come step up. We'd love to hear God glorified through your language. Again, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors. Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. And we do this by apprenticing Jesus together, right? Apprenticing means learning at the feet of a master. We learn at Jesus' feet. We watch and, and, and participate with what Jesus is doing. We engage in discipleship rhythms. And if you don't know what those are, we'd love to talk to you about those we we believe that our church is called to impact the foster care and adoption system. That's a big deal to us. And then church planting. This is how we um, this is how we impact communities, lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. If you want to know more, I highly recommend checking out our consider meetings. They happen the uh, last Sunday of the month, and they are at the eleven p.m. eleven a.m. service, not eleven p.m. You are welcome to come at eleven p.m. I will not be here. 11 a.m. service. Uh, we'd been doing them at the nine, but we're uh, moving them to the 11 because that's where childcare is. And so we want you to know that that is the place to come last end of the month. 11 a.m. service. That way you can uh, a- ask any questions, figure out why we do what we do. One of Story City's values is that we are real and redeemed. Real and redeemed. What does that mean? It means that we want to live life as a group of people who aren't trying to pretend something else. We're not trying to put on an act. We're not trying to be, you know, fake smiles and fake happy and that we have it all together. We're not trying to put up a front. We're not trying to be different on Sunday than we are the rest of the week. If you hang out with me on a Monday, I'm the same. If you hang out with me with my biker groups, I'm going to be the same. It's the same thing. We want that to be who we are all the time. But conversely, it means that while we recognize that we all have hurts and habits and hangups that, that can shape us, those things don't define us. In fact, God is a way of taking our greatest pain and tragedy and the evil that's done to us and forcing the outcome of evil's intent to work for our best good and the good of his kingdom. The truth is that God, for whatever reason, uses broken and flawed people to accomplish his mission. I don't understand why it would be so much simpler if he just did it himself. But he allows us to participate. And in doing that, we carry scars. But God also redeems what is broken in us and through us. We say it like this, our limp enriches riches. Our legacy. We don't want us. To, we don't want to, to just ignore the things that have hurt us. We want to recognize that those things don't have power over us anymore, but they still shape our realities and who we are. We get to lead out of our brokenness, not despite our brokenness. Make sense so far? All right, you guys are a quiet group this morning. This is me, one of those like, like if the lights get any brighter, I'm gonna, I'm just not gonna know if there's anybody here, and I'll just talk like I'm. All right, here's our happy. Here's our question for the day. The question is, describe your happy place. What does that look like? Who's got something? What's your happy place? Gavin. Uh, uh, around a fire on the beach. Uh, around a fire on the beach. Okay. I like that. That's good. Underwater. Underwater. Yep. There is, uh, if you have never dove before, like scuba diving, uh, it is the quietest you will ever experience life. It is, uh, or the loudest, depending on your thoughts, but it is definitely a moment. What else? Alone under, a alone under a blanket. That just sounds sad, Danny. But I'm glad, that, I'm glad that's your happy place. That's good. Good for you. Good for you. We'll let your wife know to leave you alone. All right. Anybody else? Family? family? Around family? Yeah, that's a good one. Always like that. Good. What else? A gym. a gym. I was there this morning. I was not happy while I was there. I was happy after I left. So I can, I can sort of relate to that one. What else? Taking a nap. Yep, child falling asleep on you. Somebody else over here? The mountains, the mountains yeah. Especially when you can make it back, huh, Caleb? <laughs> what else? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, Disneyland. All right. Somebody did it. That's right. I love it. In 1996, his comedy, Happy Gilmore, Carl Weathers, May He Rest in Peace, His character, Chubbs, is speaking to Adam Sandler's character, Happy, about taming his emotions so he can focus on what he needs to do to play well, to golf well, and not get derailed. So this is the conversation. Chubbs, remember, this isn't hockey. You don't play with raw emotion. You can't putt angry. You must clear your mind of everything else and stay focused. Happy. How do I do that, Chubbs? Think of a place that's really perfect, your own happy place. Go there, and all your angle would disappear, then putt. That's one way to describe a happy place. Personally, happy place for me is not something I can go to in my mind. It doesn't work that way for me. For me, happy place is like many of you described, it's tangible, it's real. And I have two in particular that help me uh, just bring deep joy to my soul. The first is on my motorcycle, especially at speeds like, you know, legally, 65. Um, my wife's not in the room. Okay. Anything over 100 makes me feel super, super happy. I love, like, give me a bunch of twisties and then a long straightaway, I can just go. That makes me happy. In fact, I'm doing this thing now where I love to drag my hand down the side of the bus as I go by. It just, it's so much fun. Though I keep telling everybody, I have found out the sheriff's bus do not like it when you do that. Which brings me a little joy doing that, too. The second for me is exactly like it. It is, uh, it give me a fireplace, a oversized, big, comfy leather chair, some scotch, a cigar, a book, maybe all three, and that would be like another just happy place, right? Can't always ride. When you get into those moments, man, the the smell of, a, of, a, of an old book. Some of you are like, books have smell. I know you don't read. It's okay. Books have a good smell, especially if they're like pre-1900s. There's, a, there's just to have a really cool uh, kind of odor to them. This sounds weird. I'm just going to stop talking. But both of those things are a slice of heaven for me. For some of you, those things sound like the worst thing in the world. That's okay. We all have different happy places. But but the, the thing that most of us would not answer, and I didn't hear anybody here answer it, is church. No one was like, my happy place is church. Right? I didn't hear it from any of you. And I'm looking at my staff right now going, I did not hear that from, I'm just kidding. It's all right, Markay. I'm, I'm just, I'm watching. <laughs> But, here, but here's the deal. Why, why is it? I actually think it's a good thing that we wouldn't mention that. Why? It's because, and this brings us to our big idea for the day, that the church isn't a place we go to. It's who we are. The church isn't a place we go. It's who we are. And so the reality is when we say, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to talk about why we end every service with go and be the church. Go and be the church. We're going to talk about how before we go, we must learn how to be and that to be the church we must be holy. To be the church we must be holy. Today we're kicking off a new series called Go and Be the Church. If you've been here before you might notice that's how we end every service and you might ask yourself okay uh, why are you giving me this charge? Why are you saying go and do something? What does it mean and why do we emphasize it as a church every week? Today we're going to talk about what that statement means to us as, as a church gathered, a story city together, why that is a big deal. Uh, we're going to discuss again that before we go we must not be and the church must be holy. We're going to explore these things over the next couple of weeks. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be holy. The next week we're going to look at, um, at, at, at uh, I just got distracted, where am I at? Uh, okay, well, you'll figure it out next week, I promise. It'll, we'll be here, we'll talk about it. Let's go back and look at our scripture for today. If you would open your Bible, to the first Peter. If you open your Bible up to about the middle, that's the Psalms and the Proverbs, and that's the Old Testament... Keep going and you'll find the start of the New Testament is the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels, Jesus has always existed. He's always been God. But he takes on human nature in addition to his God nature. And he gets born into humanity as both human and God. And this is where we get the New Testament. It's the new part of the covenant. It's where we get to see Jesus' life start and then the beginning and the birth of the church. That's what the New Testament is. So, uh, again, Old Testament, New Testament. Go past the Gospels. Almost all the way to the end, and you'll get to the little book of First Peter. First Peter 13 to 16, it says this. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former, former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also you are also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. That's quite a statement. This Brings us to the first section of your notes for those who are taking notes today. And feel free to list either my reasons why we say that this is important, that we say it as a church. But also, I would love if you would think through some of your own reasons why you think it might be important to state this. And so, there's a, if you notice, there's not an answer under this first section. There's just a spot for us to be able to take some notes and write what you will. That's why that is there. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in Oceanside in San Diego... I had a couple who had been attending a church for just a short time, and they came up to me, and the, and the man was, was crying. He had tears streaming down his face, and uh, this man was in his 60s. His wife was in her 60s, and they said they had never heard that statement, go and be the church. It said that they, it rocked them. That they had never thought about it that way. It changed the way they saw themselves and their responsibility. It changed the way they understood what church was and, and how they were supposed to apprentice Jesus. And so he's talking about these huge life shifts that changed the way they understood their faith. Later I had the privilege of baptizing him in the Jordan River in Israel. And it was, it was an incredible moment. Now, many of us wouldn't have this kind of visceral reaction to that statement. So what, what is it about this statement that makes us say it over and over and over again? And I think, first, it goes back to an important ideal for us. It goes back to an important ideal. The idea that we stated in the big idea that church isn't something we go to, it's who we are. I think we all use the, t- the terminology, I'm going to church today, right? Anybody use that this morning? I'm going to church, right? But the reality is is that we bring church with us because we are a part of the church. And together we are the church gathered. And so this is church gathered, but we are also, when we leave here, still the church. The second reason we say this is because when properly understood, this statement sets a a framework around what kind of Christians we desire to be. It sort of sets the guidelines for us about what we uh, want to build culture-wise and what we want to call people into. For those visiting, we're like, hey, we want you to understand Like, there's a, a culture that makes Story City, Story City. Not, we're not the only answer, right? We're not the only church. God has amazing churches this morning meeting next door. Meeting all over the city. They're amazing, God-loving churches. Story City is not the answer for anything. We are one expression of God's kingdom, and we're grateful for it. But the reason we're one expression is because God has uniquely designed us for his mission. And I believe God brings people to resource that mission, what he's called us to do. Right? So while we're focused on, on, on foster care and adoption and church planting, there's another church that might be focused on sex trafficking. That doesn't make either mission wrong. It makes them both good, but God has called different people to focus on different things. And we're excited that we get to be a small part of God's collective church together as we gather and serve together to do what God has called us to do as his big C church. You guys with me? Okay. And so this, this go and be the church gives us this idea of what kind of people we want to be, what kind of church we want to be. And then last, it, it, it rallies us towards Story City's future. You know, some of it, some of this culture that we have has is, is, is been established, but some of it's not yet. Some of it is for the future. There's stuff that we are not, are not in, the, in the position or place to do yet, and we want to, but we have to get to those places as we go along, and that's a journey we get to take together, and so, um, so that's a helpful thing. That's actually what this entire series is about, is explaining the statement and its implications, but the last thing it does, and, and I said last thing before, you know, forget The last thing it does is it actually invites anybody into the process to join us, no matter where you're at in the journey. See, go and be the church doesn't say, hey, go and look like us, get right first, you know, be just like we are, and then we're a perfect version of the church. No, we invite everyone to belong before we believe. The call invites everyone here on the journey to discover what it means to be the church. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for the day. Before we go, we must know how to be. Before we go, we must know how to be. Have you ever tried to give instructions to someone so excited that they run off before you actually get a chance to tell them, like, this is what I'm doing? Right? Before they know the plan? Think Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins. Okay, in case it didn't hit, some of you are looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? Here's an example for those who are not nerds in the room. I did a lot of soccer coaching as my daughter grew up. And uh, there is an age group where it doesn't matter what you are trying to explain. They all want to run to the ball and kick it. Right? It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which direction. It doesn't matter which goal. It doesn't even matter if they're working with or against their team They don't really care about strategy. They just want to go and kick the ball. Now, don't get me wrong. They will put all of their might and their effort into it, even if it's wrong. And sometimes we can be like that as a church. See, the reality is church is not just some nonprofit or some random gathering of people, some institution, or just some 501c3. No, the church is only the church because the Holy Spirit creates it. The church is only the church because the Holy Spirit has created it. So what makes it a church? And for that, I'd actually like to take us back to something called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Now, this wasn't written by the apostles. It's not why it's called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed is written that way because it summarizes the teachings of the apostles. That's how it's it's got its name. Theologian Moeller writes that the Apostles' Creed has shaped and guided the Christian faith for almost 2,000 years. Few documents in the history of the church have similar influence on the life of ordinary believers. It is perhaps the most compelling and formidable statement of Christian doctrine the world has ever known. Now since... Not all of us are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. I will read it for you now. However, if some of this sounds familiar, it's because every time we do communion, we sing a song called This I Believe, which is based on the Apostles' Creed. That's actually why we sing that song every communion, so we restate our beliefs every time that we're taking communion. Does that make sense? Some of you didn't know that we do that. That's what we do, and that's why. Here is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was cru- crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now we'll have to teach on the creed at another time. That would take uh, more than one sermon. But there are three things we want to take away from it today. Here's the first. The first is that the church is holy. The church is holy. We'll talk about that today. The church is Catholic. I'll explain that in a second. And the third is the church is apostolic. Apostolic. Now, holiness, again, is the concept we're getting to today. Next week, we're going to talk about the church being apostolic, or as I would say, a gathered Christian community around Jesus' mission and Jesus' teachings. Finally, in the last week, we'll talk about how the church is Catholic, but we don't mean Catholic as far as like, and and I love this when I talk to Catholics, are are you Catholic or Christian? Like, uh, it's both. Catholics are Christians. We believe in Jesus together. It's, uh, it's, it's just different uh, ways that we believe inside of that, right? So it's, it's separate in some of those things. There are people who absolutely love Jesus who are Catholics, right? They're not the evil people that some Protestants have made out to be. And according to Vatican II in the 60s, there's been reconciliation between the Catholic Church and the Protestants, and we are welcome back in. We are no longer anathema. We are no longer uh, separated from the Catholic Church. They look at us as their brothers and sisters. So there is reconciliation on both sides, okay? Okay. So, Catholic means the church is worldwide. It means the, the big C church. Wherever you find Jesus' authentic church, it's the same church even if it has different flavors. It's called to be universally holy, universally apostolic, and universally on mission. Now, if any part of that does not include Jesus, then it's not the church. If Jesus is not the only way to the Father, it's not Christian. You cannot have Christianity without Christ. Just to be clear. Okay? Okay? But these are the things that make the church the church. For those taking notes, this brings us to our third observation today, and we're going to spend a little bit more time here in number three, and that to be the church, we must be holy. To be the church, we must be holy. Now, I don't know about you, but because of, I don't know, maybe some other things that are triggering me, whenever I hear holy, it immediately evokes a sense of holier than thou. Anybody else have that, like, connection to that word holy? Holy. Which is sad because that's obviously not how it's supposed to be. But I think some of us as Christians have ruined it for others. Right? Because we're so broken and flawed, we have a tendency to do that. But the word holy, and we're supposed to be holy, means that we are to be set apart, consecrated, and dedicated to God's service. That's what holy means. To be set apart, consecrated, dedicated to God's service. That God gets to use us how God wants because we are set apart for His purposes. That's what it means to be holy. I love the concept of this because it doesn't start with our actions. We can't set ourselves apart. We are set apart by God. And so all of holiness doesn't point towards, this is how we know we're not holier than thou. All of holiness doesn't point towards our ability to be holy. It points towards God making us holy because of who he is, not because of who we are. The very first thing we need to understand is that the thing we call church is a group of people created by the Holy Spirit who are set apart, consecrated, and designated for God's holy use. That's pretty special, but it also has nothing to do with us. Now, here's how I know that that's the case. There's a number of scriptures that help point us to that understanding, and now we can understand the context of that, like Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8. It says, the Lord in his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, because you were the fewest of the peoples, but, and here's the reason we're chosen, because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand, that's referring to Egypt, and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God chose us. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus alone says that he builds his church. Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter will build my church. No. On this rock, Story City will do a good job, and it will build its church. No. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And we know that he does this through the Holy Spirit who brings people in and empowers the church on his mission. No conversion happens in our hearts unless the Holy Spirit does it. That's how we know that everybody who's a follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. You cannot have Christianity without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a follower of Jesus unless the Holy Spirit has done that work. You get Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. John 14.26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you. So he's the one that shows us what it is and then when we forget, it's like, hey, don't forget, this is also what you're supposed to be doing. Remind you of everything I've taught you. So Christians, as Christians, holiness is first and foremost not something we accomplish. It refers to the fact that God has done the work to rescue and renew creation through the person and work of Jesus and so we are holy not because it's something we do but because it's something that we are. Which is why we say the church isn't something we do, the church is something that we are. It refers to the fact that God has done the work and we who apprentice Jesus are adopted into the family of God and are through the blood of Jesus Set apart as holy to God. But holiness is also more than that. So it's that, but it's also more than that. Look at verses 14 to 16 from today's scripture. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. That's a statement to us. But as the one who called you is holy, you are You also are to be holy in your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, a key component of this is found in verse 14 and 15. Don't be the way we used to be before we begin apprenticing Jesus. Why? Because verse 16, Jesus is holy, and we are to be like Jesus. Therefore, we are to live lives of holiness. But we also understand the grace that's found in verse 16. On our own, we could never meet that standard. We just couldn't get to it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't meet the standard of holiness that Jesus embodies as the God of the universe, right? Pastor and author Jerry Bridges writes this God has called every Christian to a holy life. There are no exceptions to this call. It's not a call only to pastors, missionaries, and a few dedicated Sunday school teachers. Every Christian of every nation, whether rich or poor, learned or unlearned, influential or totally unknown, is called to be holy. The Christian plumber and the Christian banker, the unsung housewife, and the powerful head of state are all alike called to be holy. This, is, this call to a holy life is based on the fact that God himself is holy. Because God is holy, he requires that we be holy. He has called us to be like himself. So holiness is nothing less than the conformity to the character of God. Let me say it again. Holiness is nothing less than the conformity to the character of God. As used in scripture, holiness describes both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. Holiness is one of his attributes. That is, holiness is an essential part of the nature of God. If we understand that holiness is not merely a result of God's actions in setting us apart, but also our actions in aligning ourselves with his character, then we can see that holiness is a joint effort between God and us. Holiness is a joint effort between God and us. Even so... That effort towards holiness is only possible because God has called us and given us the power through the Holy Spirit to be holy, which is why we don't get to keep credit for it. This understanding is exactly, as I was talking before, how we keep from being holier than thou. Now, I don't know about you, but I typically don't struggle with the feeling that I'm holier than others. I tend to struggle with the feeling like, will I ever be holy? Jerry Bridges again addresses this feeling when he asks the questions, if holiness is so foundational to the Christian faith, why do so many Christians feel defeated in their struggle with sin? And why does Jesus' church so often seem to be more conformed to the world than to Jesus? He goes on to give us three problem areas. He says these are the three problems we have, which is why we we struggle with those questions. The first, he writes, is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God's centered. We are more concerned with our victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sin grieves the heart of God. We cannot tolerate failure in our struggle with sin chiefly because we're success oriented, not because we know it's offensive to God. God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Obedience is oriented to God. Victory is oriented to self. The second problem area, Bridges points out, is that we have misunderstood living by faith to mean that no effort at holiness is required on our part. We must face the fact that we have a personal responsibility for our walk of holiness. It's just the reality of it. And lastly, Bridges writes that we do not take some sin seriously. We have mentally categorized sins into that which is unacceptable and that which may be tolerated a bit. See, the issue is is that the standardness of holiness isn't be, be holy as Jared is holy. Not be holy as the people around you are holy. The issue is, the standard is, the bar is that God has set is himself. This can seem overwhelming until we remember that as Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, we are only in discipleship with Christ because he's called us into that discipleship. We wouldn't even be there if God didn't bring us in. That means we get to experience both Christ's calling and the promise of, here's the big Christianese word, sanctification that comes with this promise. And one author writes this of sanctification. He says, The word sanctification sounds mysterious, holier than thou, and a little scary. We imagine a sanctified person must have a gloomy face, dress in a long black robe, and avoid an upbeat attitude towards life. Relax. That's not what biblical sanctification is all about. Sanctification is the greatest work God is doing in the Christian life. The process through which he is making us more Christ-like for our good and his glory. Sanctification means separation from ordinary use and for God's possession and use. Holiness, then, unites us to Christ and unites us to each other for God's glory, purpose, and and mission. Henry Holloman points out that being united to Christ isn't like two boards nailed together, but a dynamic union where Christ's spiritual life flows in us and through us. Romans 12 4 to 5 tells us that being in Christ unites us, the church, together. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. In individually members of one another. So if sanctification is the process of being holy, we need to remember it's just that. It's a process. All right, we're going to get into some real big Christianese words here. Here we go. Ready? There are three parts of this process of sanctification. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. You guys look a little glazed over from what I can see. It's all right. Hang tight. Justification is what happens when we become apprentices of Jesus. We, are, we receive Jesus' righteousness instead of our own. And we're now justified and set apart. We're good with God because of what he has done. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. It's day by day looking more and more like Jesus. It just takes time. It's a daily thing that God is doing in us. And glorification is what's going to happen when Jesus returns and sets things right once and for all. We say it this way, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. In the meantime, while we're waiting for all of those things to come about, Paul urges us not to sit back and be participants in the process. He reminds us that even while we are ready for action and taking it seriously, to not set our hope on our abilities, but on the grace of Jesus Christ especially as we look forward to glorification one day. Verse 13 of today's scripture, therefore, with your minds ready for action, with our minds ready for action, be sober-minded, be serious about it, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what we talked about today. Our big idea, our big takeaway was that the church isn't the place we go, it's who we are. We talked a bit about why we say go and be the church. We talked about how before we go, we must know how to be. And finally, to be the church, we must be Holy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on what you've said to us through praise and scripture. Father, we express our gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. And as we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. To this community of Christ apprentices, I now pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.